today we serve a God who has uh, who saves and he's willing to save you here today if you're not a follower of Jesus he wants to save you and uh, give you eternal life today that's a good thing we celebrate every time we come together and it's a delight and a privilege to be able to do that together as a church family today if you're a guest know we're delighted that you're worshiping with us today hope you'll take time to tear off the side of the bulletin uh, fill that out and drop that in the offering plate here in just a little bit as as your offering here at, at Northside today 
Uh, right now, we're going to take a moment to greet each other. So if you see someone you don't recognize or hadn't seen in a while, go say good morning. And we're going to continue worshiping together here in just a moment.
out in the congregation. I see people's heads down like that. We got the words up here for you, and you should know the tune of it. So let's see if everybody will sing with us on this last verse, all right? Here we go. I shall go there to dwell in that city I know since Jesus came into my Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the, the crowd that is gathered here to worship you. We give you thanks for all things. We also thank you for being the defender of the weak. Sometimes we're weak and you're there for us. And as we come to the offering, we just pray that you'll, you'll use us, enable us to use this money to defend the weak, to work through us, to make disciples of, of you, to take care of the poor, to take care of those who are misled, to take care of the world, Lord. Just help us to step out to make a difference. Now bless this 
time. Bless the offering. Bless the givers. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. John saw
are you this morning? Good. good, good, wonderful, wonderful. Well, listen, I want to talk to you a little bit about your Sunday school lesson, okay? So uh, in your Sunday school lesson, you had this man who uh, had something wrong with him, right? And, and there was a demon that was inside of him, and Jesus cast the demon out. But let me, let me ask you a little bit more about, uh, about this thing. Why would Jesus do something like that? Why would he... Why would he try to heal this man? Anybody know? Why would Jesus heal somebody? Hannah? Because he loves everybody. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because Jesus loves people. He sees people and he sees people. He didn't necessarily see people for, you know, maybe what's wrong with them, but he sees people that he created, and he wants, he wants them to be well. And, he, and so he, he loves people. He has compassion on people. Sometimes he was walking down the street, and he would see a blind man, and it said that he had compassion for him. He, he, he would love the, the, the blind man. There was even a, there's even a story where there's a lady that comes in to a room and begins to wash Jesus' feet. And, and some of the people in that room are saying, does he know how bad of a woman that is? What, what, what's, what's he thinking? And Jesus asked the men a question. He says something real simple. He says, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And I think what Jesus is asking is not just do you see that she's here, but do you see that she's really a human that I love, that, that, uh, that this is somebody I created? And listen, God created each and every one of you, and he loves you. And so I've got these goggles here this morning. And uh, if you have goggles like this, they will not help you during the eclipse. Mm. Even though they're safety goggles, they're not NASA-approved safety goggles. Put these on. This is, this is pretty amazing. It's not really amazing. But you, you put these goggles on. It's kind of goofy, right? It's just kind of goofy. i got these goggles on. But I want you to remember this, that when you look out and you see people, 
don't just see people for maybe their, their differences or, or see people uh, that are, are different than you or, or think different than you. Or I want you to see maybe two groups of people. And you can see people the way that Jesus sees people. You look out and even in this crowd right here, I see, I see there's some Christians that could use some encouragement. Or there are people who are not Christians that need to know about Jesus. And that's how we want to see people. We want to see people who either need to hear about Jesus, and so we tell them about Jesus. Or maybe, maybe we know they already know Jesus, but listen, they need encouraging. They need to re- be reminded that there is hope, that, that Jesus loves them. And so, one more question to follow up. How do you know if somebody needs encouragement? You just got to see if they're breathing. All right? So if somebody is alive, then they need encouragement. And I put these goggles on just to remind you that we need to see people the way Jesus sees people. And we need to love people and encourage people. So my challenge for you is, all right, everybody hold up your hand. Let me see, let me see, just one hand. Let me see, I'm looking, I'm looking. All right, good, good. Nobody's been at the workshop with Mr. David and and lost a finger or anything. So everybody's got five fingers. So I want you to remember today, I want you to try to encourage five people. Say something encouraging to five different people today. And then tomorrow, I want you to say something encouraging to five different people. Can can you try to do that for me? Encourage somebody. Say something nice to somebody. Tell somebody that you love them. Five different people. Let's work on that. And maybe we'll see people the way Jesus sees people. All right, let's pray. Father, sometimes we can see people and we, we begin to think all kinds of things about somebody just upon their appearance. But Lord, help us to just see people as people created by you, people that you love, and people that we need to talk to, people we need to share the love of Jesus with. Help us to encourage five people today, or more, in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand again as we sing, sunshine in my soul today, everybody singing with There is sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright than glows in any earthly sky, for Jesus is my light. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll, when Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. There is music in my soul today, a carol to my King. And Jesus, listening, can hear the songs. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. There is music in my soul today, for when the Lord is near, the day of peace sings in my heart, the flowers of grace appear. Oh, there's
sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll, when Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. There is gladness in my soul today, and hope and praise and love. For blessings which he gives me now, for joys laid up above. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. Remain standing as we share God's word together this morning from the book of Ephesians. Surprise, surprise. The fourth chapter and verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. The Apostle Paul writes these words Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for The fact that your word is pure and perfect, God, and we humbly confess that our words so frequently are not. God, we pray that you might bless this time of reflection as we think about what your word says and how it applies to us today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We're excited about our our fall discipleship opportunities that are going to be coming up in just a a couple of weeks here. Uh, We've got uh, Awana kicking off in... um, Kicks off next week. Our students will uh, begin their discipleship uh, program on Sunday nights beginning uh, next week as well. We also are going to be offering uh, kind of three different tracks for, uh, for folks, uh, for adults who want to participate in our adult discipleship on Sunday nights. Um, and so at this time, I'm going to ask uh, BJ and Truman to, to make their way up here. You don't have to come up here at the same time. You can kind of tag off if you want to. Um, uh, so... Uh, uh, these are our three three uh, discipleship group leaders for this this uh, this this fall, and I'm going to ask these guys to share a little bit about what they'll be doing here on Sunday nights. Well, good morning. So, first of all, I want to talk to you about the students. Uh, the teenagers will be going through a six week study on the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary of the Martin Luther nailing the 95 Thesis to the to the door there, the, the Catholic Church, and so we're going to look at what the Reformation means for us 500 years later. Uh, I know that sounds so exciting for, uh, for all of our students, but um, yeah, it will be. So you just have to come and find out, okay? And so you just have to come and find out. Uh, you want to talk about a revolutionary. Uh, there were some revolutionaries about 500 years ago that kind of bucked the system and did what they thought was right, and so I guess that will be my challenge to you. Are you willing to butt the system and do what's right? Are you willing to stand up on what the Word of God says, even when everyone around you says something different? Uh, these, these men and women did, and uh, you're in a Baptist church today, in large part because of what took place 500 years ago. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to study that. It's just a six-week study. Come and, and, and join with us. I, I pray that you would. But I will not be in there. Um, we have some awesome youth leaders, and, and they're going to be taking part in that and, and leading and guiding. I, however, will be uh, leading a, a parenting class. Uh, it's, it's, 
I say leading. I will be facilitating uh, a class. It's, it's a, a book. It's a study uh, from Dr. Kevin Lehman. It's called Running the Rapids, uh, Guiding Teenagers Through the Turbulent Waters of Adolescence. Did anybody have a, a, a turbulent time yesterday on the rafting trip? Okay. Anybody not willing to admit that you had a turbulent time? I, I've, I've already heard some stories. But guiding teenagers through the turbulent waters of adolescence, I've not done that in my household. I've come alongside a lot of parents over the years who have. Uh, so I won't be sharing necessarily from personal experience. I just want to facilitate and guide. And who, who should be a part of this class? Uh, parents with teenagers, certainly. Or maybe it's even better for parents with preteens, parents with, with, with children uh, that may be looking forward to the uh, teenage years, okay, uh, and what lies ahead. It's a six-week study, so we'll be doing that to go alongside what the teenagers are doing. I uh, would love for you to sign up for this study in the, in the uh, foyer there, make sure that we have enough books and that kind of thing for you. If you have any questions, please let me know. Okay, we're looking forward to a time when we can walk out, I know I do all the time, walk out and see someone that you need to share Jesus with. Have you ever been in that circumstances? How many of you have ever had a time that you wanted to share Jesus, but you were a little bit afraid? You know, folks, there's no reason to be afraid. We're going to be looking at a study coming up of sharing Jesus. We're going to be, be looking at some videos, and then we'll look at the book some, and then we're going to go out and try what we have experienced in that study. And I hope that each one of you who raised your hand will sign up and be there and listen to what this man says about sharing Jesus and not being fearful in doing so when you walk up to a fellow person. It's fun, and we ought to have fun to do that. God requires us to do it. And so when we do walk up and see someone and they've got an old long face and they don't act like they don't know who Jesus is, we want them to smile and know who Jesus is. So I'm inviting you to be there and, and listen to what this young man has to say about sharing Jesus. All right. Thank you, Truman. And uh, Truman's, uh, BJ's class actually begins a week from today, a week from today on Sunday evening. Uh, Truman's class will begin two weeks from today, so you've got a couple weeks to, um, uh, to get yourself ready for that. And I'll be teaching a class uh, going through, uh, Matt Chandler has written a, a, a study on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, so that is, a, we're kind of delving back into some historical things this year, and uh, the Apostles' Creed is about as historical Christianity as we can get, and so we're going to be working through that as well. So you've got some choices on Sunday nights to, uh, to be a part of. Uh, the class on the Apostles' Creed will actually begin two weeks from today as well. So, uh, so BJ is going to start in one week, and then Truman uh, with the uh, sharing Jesus without freaking out is the name of the book. Um, and uh, and our study on the Apostles' Creed will begin in two weeks from today. So, uh, so see us if you got any questions. We look forward to uh, to being able to work through these things together and, and uh, depth, um, add some depth to our walk with the Lord through our discipleship programs on Sunday night. A study was recently concluded on the frequency and the increase of the use of profane language in modern American literature. Now, the study got very specific with the words that it analyzed, and it chose seven of them as a matter of fact. The seven words are, just kidding, just kidding, I'm not that preacher. Um, there are some, though. 
Uh, the overall conclusion of the study was that there was a 28% or 28 times multiplication increase in the use of these seven profane phrases between 1950 and 2008. And so uh, basically it used a, a Google book search, and uh, Google Books has, has, a, has some features where you can search the frequency of individual word usage, and it identified that, that it picked out these seven words that George Carlin said you can't say on TV. So, uh, so that's the words that they picked. Um, between 1950 and 2008, it increased by 28 times. The study did not include the last 10 years. I can only imagine what our last decade has done to that, to that number. Uh, I, I can't imagine, I don't know why the limitations were, were there that they didn't come up to the current time, but I can't even fathom what the last decade has done to that number. Um, and, and remember this study, if you go, you can look it up. It, it only considered literature. It didn't look at movies, television, or radio. Um, just as a thought experiment, I would uh, challenge you to go visit this website. It's called kidsinmind.com. Our family uses this before we go to a movie to determine the content of that movie to see if it's something that, that, uh, that I'm willing to watch uh, or that I'm willing to allow my, my children to watch. Go to kidsinmind.com. Pick your favorite movie, whatever your favorite movie may be. Um, go there, and, and that website breaks down the content of movies uh, from a standpoint of, uh, of sexuality, of violence, and of profanity. And it will actually count, give you a word count of how many different times four-letter words or comparable words are used over the course of an entire movie. And usually they actually get previews of new releases. So if you want to go out and see the latest and greatest movie before it comes out, you can usually visit that website a couple of days in advance, and it will actually have the latest and greatest movie already sort of analyzed. And there's other groups out there, other sites that do this. We just use Kids in Mind. But just go, just go look at your favorite movie and see what kind of word usage is included in that movie. Now, now the reality is, is this shouldn't surprise us. Um, the American Psychological Society suggests that the average American uses 80 to 90 swear words per day. And some of you may work in a place where, uh, where the people that you work with actually may use more of, of those words than 80 to 90 per day. But this is on average, uh, and hopefully we don't reflect the average here today. Uh, it is well known that our current president uh, is one of the most prolific public purveyors of profanity that we've ever seen in the White House. Many of our presidents have had, uh, um, what does Spock say on Star Trek? They, uh, they use colorful metaphors, I believe is what Spock said on Star Trek. Many of our presidents have been uh, very uh, proficient with using those four-letter words. The Nixon tapes are, uh, are full of blankety-blanks and beeps and beeps. Uh, but most of the presidents have used that language in private with the occasional uh, hot mic moment. You've caught a few but our current president has no issue using those words uh, in a very public setting. Back in, on the 4th of July, we, were going, we went to the beach, and there was a group of 20-somethings there gathered at the beach, and they were within earshot of where we were on the beach, and as they consumed more and more adult beverages on that beach that was alcohol-free, we found that earshot got louder and louder and louder. Go figure. And as they consumed more beverages, our PG trip to the beach became very much a rated R trip to the beach. And we asked those folks to uh, mind their language around the children that we had there at the beach with us. 
And uh, one of the young ladies who was particularly uh, talented with the use of four-letter words uh, said that she wasn't using any cuss words, that, uh, that she didn't have any, any problem with the language that she was using. Well, we packed up and left after that. We have even seen a current trend among younger pastors in the churches where many preachers have begun to season their speech with their sermons with crude language, if not outright profane language, in an attempt to capture the ears of these folks who use 80 to 90 swear words a day. It shouldn't surprise us, however, that God is actually concerned about how we speak. God is indeed concerned about the words that we use. In more than a few places, the scriptures caution us to watch our language. And as we've worked our way through the book of Ephesians, Paul has come to a very practical, what we would call practical theology, a a section of this book that deals with just some simple do's and don'ts of the Christian life. We've talked about not stealing. Uh, That's a simple do and don't of the Christian life. We've talked about being honest. That's a simple do and don't of the Christian life. So here Paul gets to another simple thou shalt not of the Christian life. And he says it simply, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now what does that word mean? What does that word corrupting mean? Well, the word's actually a a fairly uncommon word in the New Testament. It's only used eight times over the course of six verses. And this is the only time that it's used to to refer to the words that we speak. In other places, it's actually used to refer to something that's diseased or something that's, that's rotted. And so here Paul is using a word that's designed to paint a picture that paints the picture of our words as being something that's diseased or something that's rotted. And so we might say, let nothing rotten come out of your mouth. I think the the Holman or the new CSB says that let nothing foul, don't use any foul language. But I think it's a word picture here that's designed to cause us to appreciate the full extent of what God thinks about our language. So with that in mind, what does a biblical understanding of our language, particularly our use of the Star Trekian colorful metaphor, look like? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a list of vulgar words. Um, that shouldn't surprise us. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of lists of things that, that, uh, of specifics. Um, for instance, the word pornea refers to sexual immorality, and that's not a list of things you ought not do. It's just a general group of things that you probably should stay away from. Um, again, it's not, a, it's not a list. I heard one preacher say that if God gave us a list of these things, that in our perverted minds we would find things that aren't on the list just to be able to say we could do those things. And here the Bible doesn't give us necessarily a list of vulgar words. Now the exception to this would probably, uh, we might say, is the third commandment, which says we shouldn't use the name of the Lord our God in vain. This is what happens when we combine God's name with swear words. When we combine God's name with swear words. Now, it's a, it's a cultural thing to use God's name as a curse word in, in, our, in our society here. But, but sometimes people don't just combine God's name with swear words. They actually just use God's name as a swear word. 
Um, it, it's not uncommon to, to, to hear a movie where somebody says the name Jesus. Now, what does the Bible say about the name of Jesus? That at the name of Jesus, every knee on heaven and on the earth and under the earth shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That it's the greatest name that's ever been given. That when you hear the name Jesus, that's a name that you should perk up and listen because it's the best name ever, yet we live in a society where it's become increasingly common for people to use the word Jesus, the name Jesus, as a swear word. And you'll hear people say, Jesus Christ. Well, what is that? Well, that's Jesus and His title as the Messiah, the Anointed One. And we live in a world today where it's not uncommon for something bad to happen to someone and they say, Jesus Christ. Not in a prayer, but as a matter of of using the Lord's name in vain. Now, still, we don't get a list of things you can't say. We don't get a list of it's okay to say, to say, oh my God, if you're praying or expressing delight in what God has done, but you can't say, oh my God, is a curse word. We, we, we don't get a list. We get a principle. And I love the fact that God's word is much more concerned about principles than it is about giving us a, a list of sins that we do and we don't do. You see, when it, when it comes to what is defined as corrupting talk, this is what we struggle with sometimes. We actually have to listen to our culture. We actually have to listen to our culture. And we have to understand what words are culturally taboo. If you've been alive long enough, you may have seen vocabulary change and the meaning behind that vocabulary change. But what I've found to be a good principle, and it actually makes us look sort of foolish, if that we think a swear word is an appropriate word to use, if we'll just define it, you know, in a, in a classic Websterian definition, we'll actually find that swear words make us sound stupid. Right? I mean, when we use, when we use swear words and we define them, they really make us sound, sound, sound unintelligent. Uh, some people, stupid is a bad word, but they make us sound really, truly unintelligent when we begin to define it. And what we actually find is that when we begin to define swear words, we find that using them almost always seems illogical. And of course, always sinful. And every culture has its own set of taboo words. So whether you're speaking a four-letter word in English, or it's Spanish or Chinese equivalent, the odds are very good that you're not using language as God intended, but you are allowing the very thing Paul challenges against here, you're allowing corrupting talk to leave your mouth. The reality is, is this, that if God did give us a list of vulgar words, we would simply develop words that aren't on the list. In many ways, we do that already. Perhaps you do this. I know that I have to be careful of this because I know what the list of taboo words are, as you certainly know what the list of taboo words are. But what frequently happens is that we use words that are actually just substitutes for these words, which may be more socially acceptable but still qualifies corrupting speech. Um, the, if someone were to say, gosh darn it, that's just a substitute for using the Lord's name in vain, in all honesty. Uh, if you hit your finger with a hammer and you say, gosh darn it, well, the reality is, is you're substituting something there. You say, that's not what my intent is. Then how about just, ow! I don't think that's a taboo word. Uh, unless there's more words to follow, which uh, 
Sometimes. The reality is, is God did not give us a list of vulgar words, and we have to listen to our culture to understand what some of those vulgar words are. But the second thing we've got to understand is this, is that, is that words matter. God is concerned about how we use our words. The psalmist declares it this way in Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. God is very much concerned with the words that we use that the psalmist would pray, lock it up with a key and throw it away, Lord. Set a guard over what comes from my mouth so that, so that I don't, I'm not causing others to stumble. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Jesus actually said that the words we use are, are like a spiritual EKG or a, or a spiritual check of our pulse. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and following, He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's in somebody's heart, listen to the words that come from their lips. In the same way that if you want to know if they have a heart condition, you're going to plug them up to a machine that checks their heart rate and the rhythm of their heartbeat and those sort of things. If you want to know what's in the heart of someone, listen to the words that they speak. Jesus said the good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. In other words, if there's a heart of gold in there, then good things are going to flow forth from his mouth. But the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 36. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, now I'm not saying this is what Jesus said, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That is a scary proposition. Because I think of how many careless words I have uttered without giving thought to the significance of my words. Jesus said, for by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. It's not saying that that's our, the means by which we're saved. It's simply saying that our words become the, a really good tool to analyze what's inside of us. Now again, did Jesus lay down a list of four-letter words that you can't say and things that are appropriate to say instead? Well, no. He didn't tell us things that are, that are good because the reality is I'm not proficient in Greek profanity or Hebrew profanity, so he had a whole different set of words that, that, that would have been in mind there. Uh, he didn't give us that list. Jesus is not like the FCC that tells radio and television personalities what they can or can't say. Instead, Jesus warns that our words reveal our heart. As B.J. taught the kids earlier, that if, uh, if children are, are if they're walking around encouraging, well, that gives us a little insight of what's inside of them. Um, you know, that shows us a little bit of what's inside their heart. And our words do that. So what does that mean? Well, that means that if your mouth spews out more than its fair share of corrupting talk, certainly if you're above the average pace of the average American, then there may be something going on on the inside. That if, you're, if there's more than your fair share of corrupting talk, then all that corrupting, rotten speech is pointing at a heart that may have more than its fair share of corruption. And here's the thing, this goes deeper, this goes deeper than just the words that we speak. Um, I'm speaking right now, and if, if I use profanity, of course, that's a, that's a problem, but this is deeper than just how we speak. Because today's culture has got many, many different ways of communicating, right? It's not just verb, words that we use, it's not just conversations that we have, those are important, of course, but our culture today has many different ways to communicate. For instance, humor is a way that we communicate, and that shows up in different ways. But humor is one of those ways that corrupting speech is actually disguised. 
Isn't it interesting how we can sometimes mask our vulgarities in laughter? And if we mask our vulgarities in laughter, then the edginess of what we're trying to say is dulled. Can you listen to a stand-up comedian today? Is there any, maybe three, that are out there that don't ruin their comedy, their humor with, with profane language? There's not many. It seems to be funny that you have to use four-letter words. Dirty jokes? Well, they're called dirty jokes for a reason. If you've got that guy in the office who's constantly wanting to tell you jokes that would make your grandmother blush, well, it's probably good to not repeat those jokes to others. might even be better to not laugh at them. Paul would reiterate this point over a few verses in chapter 5, verse 4, when he warns against crude joking. He says, don't even, don't even tell crude jokes. Now, dad jokes are not crude. At least they shouldn't be. They're not dad jokes if they're crude jokes. And I, I love a good dad joke. Um, um, while some people may think that my jokes are a crime against humanity, I do at least try to make sure that my jokes are not a sin against the Lord. Uh, I'm not the only person that speaks from this pulpit who has that same problem. come on Curtis let's come up and do an invitation and go home (laughs) while we have to be careful against our humor we also need to exercise discretion with what we post in public places like on the internet some things don't need to be said Some things don't need to be shared. Some memes don't need to be reposted. There are some things that though the world deems acceptable, God would look at and say those are still crude and unacceptable. It's a real simple thing we should do. Evaluate everything spiritually. Take the couple of seconds to look at something and say, is this this neutral? There's things that are neutral, right? They, They don't have any... Any one way or another, there's neutral. Is this corrupting speech or is this encouraging speech? We need to ask those questions because God didn't spell out, you know, it's okay to post these things but not these things. He said don't let corrupting speech come out of your mouth and in conjunction to today out of your keyboard. You see, when we express ourselves in electronic communications, we've got to be mindful of that. Abbreviations for swear words don't get a pass because you didn't spell them out. I was listening to a conservative political commentator on the radio the other day, and they used the phonetic alphabet to spell out a vulgar three-letter abbreviation beginning with Whiskey Tango. That's still vulgarity, even though it wasn't spelled out in its four-letter word or said from their lips. It's still vulgar. When I first visited Jamaica, I found myself uncomfortable there with friends who would use the phrase, oh my God, because... That's uncomfortable for me. That's, a, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. When, when I hear that expressed in English and American culture, no one ever says, oh my God, is a word of praise. Uh, we don't do that. Uh, when, when oh my God comes out in conversation, it is, a, it, is, it is using the Lord's name in vain. But what I realized down there is in, in their language and in their culture that, that they were saying, oh my God, is an expression of praise. When something happened and it was clear it was the Lord's hand at work, the frequent response would be, oh my God, as a, as a way of expressing praise. And it was very different. It was something that I had to, I had to get used to. But when you use OMG in your electronic communications, guess what? You're breaking commandment number three. But I mean, gosh, it doesn't matter. 
just a substitute for the real thing. See, we need to understand that our corrupting speech is more than just dirty jokes. It's more than just four-letter words. Corrupting speech goes deeper than that. Corrupting speech comes out even when we don't use four-letter words. Corrupting speech comes out in how we talk about each other and to each other. When we see gossip and slander and hurtful words being thrown around, none of that has any place on the lips of God's people because it's all rotten and corrupting speech. It's all rotten and corrupting. Guess what? We don't lose anything by guarding our tongue. You don't lose anything by guarding our tongue. I've heard this argument made that, that by, by some well-meaning Christians. They, they argue that lost people won't listen to you if you don't use vulgar language. I've heard that. People have made that argument to me. And I think it's absolutely nonsense. Because it doesn't apply to anything else except for Christians who want to pass on using bad language. The only place where that argument might hold water is if you encountered an unreached people group who had developed a language of their own using only vulgar English phrases to communicate. If you find those people, then perhaps, maybe, you can make the case, but guess what? Pretty sure those folks don't exist. Believe it or not, but that fella or that gal that you work with that you're trying to reach, they understand more then you think they understand when you don't use foul language. They may cuss up a wild streak. But guess what? They encounter people on a daily basis that they interact with on a very professional level who don't speak to them using four-letter words. Imagine this scenario played out. Imagine the person who uses swear words on a regular basis going into the doctor saying, I have a pain on my blank right side. The doctor says, well, let's check it out. And he gets the ultrasound out and he says, you know what, it looks like your appendix is inflamed. We're going to have to do surgery to remove your appendix. At no point in time would that professional doctor or the professional staff that takes care of that fellow ever come into the room and refer to him or speak to his medical condition, coloring it with four-letter words and acronyms and things like that. No point in time would that happen. Because it's a professional relationship. And, and guess what? That person who cusses up a blue streak, he's not really worried about whether his anesthesiologist can communicate to him in the vernacular of his people. He wants to know, are you going to kill me when you put me under? That's what he wants to know. And so if you think the only way you can talk to this person is by using nasty language, it really doesn't work. Do you think your friend would say, i got to go find a new surgeon because the surgeon didn't cuss at me during pre-op? Of course not. It's silly. We know that not to be true. Your friend is not going to ask for a nurse who cusses at him while she puts an IV in his arm. If a nurse cusses at me while she's putting an IV in my arm, I'm going to flinch. <laughs> and then I may be tempted to say something I shouldn't say. You don't lose anything by guarding your lips. You don't lose anything by guarding your tongue. But you do gain a lot. The scriptures are very clear that we gain much when we guard our lips. With all the prohibitions about guarding our tongue and making sure that, that, that we are mindful of the speech that we use, listen to what the Bible says about all the, all the things that we gain. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23, here's a life verse for some of us. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. I don't know about you, it seems to me that I stand to gain much more than I stand to lose if I will guard the words that cross my lips. It seems to me that I gain credibility and and it seems to me that I gain a reputation as one who is intelligent. It seems to me that I have so much more to gain than I do to lose. Well, like most of the things in Paul's practical teaching section here, he tells us the bad behavior but then he contrasts it with behavior that should be indicative of Jesus' followers. The speech that we use, Paul says, should be good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Pastor, you mean I shouldn't cuss? If I don't cuss with my coworkers and swear with the people that swear with me, what should I do? Well, Paul says this, let your speech be good for building up. I had a hard time thinking of a cuss word that was designed to build somebody up. I couldn't come up with one. And when I was a young man, I had quite the vocabulary. I couldn't come up with one that that really built people up. I just couldn't. That our language should fit the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. That doesn't mean that we walk around all pious all the time. It doesn't mean we walk around like the Pharisees with a language check, looking looking to reach out and smite the people who use bad language. It doesn't mean that we don't laugh and and have a good time. I have a hard time picturing Jesus not doing this. I have a hard time picturing Jesus not using language that fits the occasion. I firmly believe that he had plenty of conversations with his disciples that weren't sermonic. Right? I mean, not everything that happened between them. They were friends. Not everything that they said was, was sermonic in nature. I can imagine Jesus laughing at things that were funny. Right? I'm I'm comfortable with my Savior laughing at things that were funny. I'm I'm comfortable with my Savior standing at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, telling good nature stories of the time he went to a wedding and the bride smushed the cake into the groom's face. And laughing as he tells the story. I'm comfortable with that because it's a Savior that's good natured and uses speech that's appropriate for the occasion. I'm I'm comfortable with Jesus laughing about the wedding where the best man handed the pastor a Cracker Jack box with a ring inside when it came for the time of the exchange of rings. That really did happen. I'm comfortable with that. That that laughter. that, That speech that's appropriate for the occasion. I'm comfortable with that. But the thing Jesus is capable of doing that we're not is Jesus knew where the line was and he never crossed it. See, the thing is, is if you're a person who's got a, 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 a mouth that's rather filthy, you cross back and forth over that line a lot. You're, you're back and forth a lot. But the thing is, is Jesus was tested in the very way that you are. But the difference is, is that where Jesus came to the line, he said, I don't have to cross that line. We do. You see, Jesus was tested in every way, but yet was without sin. The thing is, is people know where the line is. The drunk girl at the beach on the 4th of July knew that the four-letter words that she was spewing were just as vulgar as, the, as anybody else. And when you are tempted to throw out those words, you know that there's a line there. You just choose to cross it. The alternative is this. 
our speech should be good. Speech should be godly. Our speech should give grace to people. If you don't know, there's a good pattern to follow. Let it be good. Let it be godly. And let it show grace to folks. Pastor, I, I just don't know if I can go to my workplace on Monday and, and not speak like the guys that I work with. Sure you can. And you know what? They either won't notice, won't care, or will respect you more for it. I can guarantee you. And if they mock you, that's okay too. That's perfect. Because that means they paid attention and they notice. That's what that means. You don't have to do it. It's a choice that we make. And if you struggle with this, like I struggled with this when I was, you know, 20 years ago. I struggled with this. I, I, had, a, I had a forked tongue and was proficient. I, I never had that stuck in my mouth, and I guess that's a good thing. Perhaps more mamas should do that today. But I had to actually reprogram what I put in. Because I found that what I was putting in is what was being spewed out. I had to reprogram what was being put in. To this day, I can't stand going to a movie that's got a lot of those, a lot of those words in it. I'm an adult, and I'm not using it, but to this day, it makes me uneasy because it was something that I, I struggled with mightily as a, as a younger man. And so I don't like to put that stuff in because I know that it was there before. Okay? So if you struggle with it, don't put it in. If you struggle with it, see what God uses in His words, how He uses His words. Be like that. Let your speech be good. Let it be godly. And let it give grace to the folks who hear it. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you for your words that are good and perfect and righteous in every way. Thank you, God, for the challenge on us to, to guard our speech. Thank you, Lord, for all the things that we have to gain by guarding our tongue. And remind us that we really have nothing to lose. So as the psalmist said, in my paraphrase, shut the door and lock it and throw away the key. That nothing rotten may come out of my mouth. Or maybe there's some here today and there's rot that comes out of their mouth because their heart is rotted in sin and they need a relationship with Jesus. They say, I don't like the words that I use, but it's really a, a true mirror of what's inside of me. Well, God, I pray that the gospel might uh, be the answer for them today, that they might know that Jesus wants to clean them up from that, wants to give them a new heart, wants to, wants to turn all that upside down. Lord, would they recognize and understand that there is a God who loves them, who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for their sins, in their place, for their bad language, for their lust and all the things in their heart, God, that are displeasing to you. Jesus died for those things. That they might know the forgiveness that can be only found in Christ and they might know eternal life. We sang it earlier that we serve a God who saves and you want to save people today. May there be some here today that need to make that decision to follow Jesus and let their life be different from this day forward. God, speak to us now. Help us to, to hear what we say, that we may use words that give honor and glory to you, point people to Jesus, give grace to folks around us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation. If you're here and you've got, you're that person who needs to give their life to Christ, let today be the day 
that you make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've got a problem with words, and uh, it's time to to lay those words down today. We're going to stand together and sing, and you respond as God leads. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can be support. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I Good to worship our Lord Jesus Christ today, amen? Um, busy day today, D- don't forget tonight we have our uh, kind of our end of summer uh, talent or lack thereof spectacular. Uh, so, uh, so some folks I think have been literally working since last year to get something ready for tonight, so, uh, so it, it's, uh, it, it, it's guaranteed to be entertaining. Um, I, I hope to guarantee that it will be language that's edifying and pleasing to the Lord, uh, but it is live, so, you know, we don't have a tape delay. It's not like the Super Bowl. Um, but I uh, hope you'll be back tonight at 6 o'clock. There is a, are a couple of announcements that I need to make that were not in the bulletin. Uh, Awana, if you are a uh, leader in Awana, there's a meeting today at 4 o'clock. Um, we also we need a nursery volunteer and a Sparks volunteer to help in Awana. See Alexa if you'd like to help and be here at 4 o'clock. Also, we are exploring the possibility of, um, of offering some training later on in the wintertime for, uh, for CERT, which stands for Community Emergency Response Team. Basically, it's, um, it's kind of a, a set of training to help you help yourself and help others in the event of some sort of da- disaster or catastrophe. If you're interested in that, uh, Larry Chappelle's our, our county representative for that program, and, and he's interested in, in trying, to, trying to do that here. And so I would love for you to talk to Larry if, you're, if you'd like to, to get more information in that. Probably January, February time frame. So if you're thinking, well, I do upward and I do this, I do that, we're doing it a time of year when that won't matter. So, uh, so if you're interested in that, see Larry uh, and, uh, and see what kind of, uh, kind of interest there is there. Uh, I believe that is all. Ryan McMichael, would you mind coming up and dismissing us in prayer?